Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our midweek Bible study here at New Beginnings. Um, I'm going to be introducing part two of a two-part message that I started two weeks ago. Um, the title of that message was Getting Out of My Own Way. And uh, so many of you watched it already. We, we've seen online that you've watched the first part. So I'm really hoping that you'll watch the second part all the way through because I kind of wrapped some things up that I introduced the last time. And please, it's so important, please share these videos because we know many people are watching them after Wednesday nights. And once they go on YouTube, they're a blessing to anyone anywhere all over the planet. So please make sure that you're sharing them because it's important for us to keep constantly feeding ourselves with the Word of God. So, so we're going to go back to introducing part one. I want to do a little bit of review. And the basis for this message is really coming from the fact that when you're living in a world that seems like it's spinning out of control, when it seems like our lives are just out there, like things that were very secure at one time or insecure now, where we had stability, we've, we're sensing instability. There's a lot of people whose anxiety levels have just skyrocketed since we've been involved in all this confusion and chaos uh, since, since last March. Um, but I want you to know that through the power of the, of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we can still have some stability in our lives. We don't have to allow everything that's going on around us to, to affect us to the point where we become just as unstable as an individual who has no clue of who God is or no clue of what the Word of God says. Now, a loss of self-control is what we're, what we're really talking about. And I want you to consider this. And again, I'm reviewing from part one. A loss of self-control really involves using a good thing in a bad way. For example, it's normal for us to have hunger. It's normal for us to have experience thirst and fatigue. Um, it's very normal for us to desire sex. Sex is something that God created, and it's good in his sight. But when your appetite takes control of your life, you lose self-control, and it becomes the sin of gluttony. When social drinking gets out of control, it becomes alcoholism. When we desire too much rest, we can fall into laziness. And when a normal sex desire, a sex drive, goes into overdrive due to a lack of self-control, it results in destruction. It results in sexual addiction. It, results, it can result in adultery and, and divorce. And, and again, no one wakes up one day and says, today I'm going to be begin to live a life that's out of control. I'm going to cast off all restraint today. Starting today, I'm going to live like someone that just has no discipline whatsoever. None of us wake up that way one day. It happens a little bit at a time. It happens as we begin to drift off from our relationship with God, as we replace the intimacy that we have with God, and we begin to yield to the voice of the old nature, we start to lose discipline and self-control. We start living according to the flesh, which means that we're ruled by our bodies, we're ruled by our emotions. Uh, rather than living according to the Spirit, which means we're being led by God and we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Um, and this is not a one-time thing. It has to be a lifestyle. Our relationship with God is going to be based on lifestyle. It can't be a, you know, I don't write notes for myself, oh, make sure you say thank you to God for what he did to you this morning. No, that needs to, that, that should be coming as a natural thing 
out of the overflow of who I am in relationship with him. Uh, just like I don't write notes for myself to tell him, you know, make sure you tell your wife you love her. Uh, make sure you tell your kids you love them. That, that's supposed to come out of a natural overflow. And so uh, it's got to be a lifestyle. Our relationship with God's got to be a lifestyle. We can't just go to him, and I suspect so many have in this season that we're in. We can't just go to him when we're in a time of crisis. That's not a relationship. That's, that's using someone. Um, now, let's be real. I want to be real transparent about something here. <clears throat> there are some of us, and, I, and I'm one of them, that because of things that we've been exposed to, even from childhood, or our early growing years and our developing years, there are some of us that are always going to have to live on guard. We're always going to have to live on the very edge. We're always going to have to be very aware of our surroundings, very aware of who we're in relationship with um, because of things that we've been exposed to. Um, so if you think that you're going to have self-control apart from the strength that comes from God, you're setting yourself up for defeat. You're setting yourself up for, for a disaster. Uh, what we need to really understand is that because of his love, God's grace empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There is strength that comes from the grace that has been introduced into our lives when we came into relationship with Jesus Christ. He is grace. He is truth. He is the power of God in our lives. And the things that you, and it goes on to say in verse two, and the things that you have heard from me, this is Paul writing, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who are able to teach others also. See, when you and I start developing a lifestyle of self-discipline, self-control, where we're not living just reckless lives and, and just leaving a path of destruction everywhere we go, <clears throat> that is a witness, that is a testimony, that is an example to others who may be younger in the faith or younger, just, just younger in, in age. Um, you and I need to live our lives in such a way that we're setting an example for others to follow that they would become faithful men and women of God. Verse 3 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is not a popular message today. We know this. Uh, we're so used to having a life that's full of comfort, so used to, unfortunately, even that entitlement mentality seems like it has creeped into, crept into the church. You and I are called to a life of endurance as Christians. Let's just throw it on the table and call it what it is. Let's stop trying to hide it or trying to masquerade it or trying to uh, present it in such a way that it's not what it is. No, it is what it is. The lifestyle of the Christian is a lifestyle of endurance. And Paul likens it to being in the army. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're soldiers. Okay, we're not just hanging out. We're not slackers. We're soldiers. We're called to be soldiers. It goes on to say in verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. What does that say? You and I are supposed to be living our lives in such a way, and this is the place where we find contentment. You and I are supposed to be living our lives in such a way that we are not living our life every single day 
concerned with our own comforts, concerned with am I getting what I want out of life, concerned with am I surrounded with the things that I want in life, this life is going to pass by very quickly. None of that stuff matters in eternity. What matters in eternity, what's going to speak loud for all of eternity is did you serve Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all that is within you, with all that you have. That is what's going to, what's going to determine the type of reward that we receive when we get to heaven, and it's going to determine the type of life that we lead in eternity. And we need to understand this. Verse 4, again, says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affair of this life. How effective would a soldier be if, in, if he's on the front lines and instead of paying attention and being focused on an enemy that's coming over the hill, he's daydreaming, thinking about the car he left home, the girlfriend he left home, the kind of life he used to have, the food that he had back home. That soldier's not going to be effective. You and I are supposed to be enduring hardship, and there is hardship in this life. I don't know where we lost the message uh, uh, throughout the years of the gospel. The gospel is not something that promises us just a life of ease. It, it provides us with the faith that we need to overcome every adversity in life. It's a life of endurance. Verse 5 says, And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, if you're an athlete, you might say, well, crown, what's he talking about crown? In ancient times, athletes received crowns. They received what could be called a laurel, and usually it was a bunch of, of a specific type of, of herb leaves that were, were, were threaded together to form a crown, and that was the thing that was considered the highest honor for an athlete to receive this. It really is going back to even the Olympic times. What he's saying is this. You want to win, you play by the rules. You want to, you want to have a crown looking forward, to look forward to when you step into eternity? You want a crown? Play by the rules. Endure hardship. Forget about your life. You've got plenty in eternity for us to enjoy. Let's not trap ourselves and distract ourselves and bog ourselves down with the comforts of this life. More people are disturbed right now because of this discomforts of, of what our lives are like right now and what society is demanding from us uh, because it's disturbed our comfort. It's disturbed our cushy little lifestyle. And, and now we're, we, we have to think ahead of time and plan ahead when you're going to go to the supermarket, you're going to come to church, uh, things of this nature. It's not like it was, and it's probably not going to be that way anymore. Being strong in God's grace enables us to endure the hardships in life as a believer. See, if you're not depending on God's grace every day, you're going to get bitter. You're going to get hard-hearted because the hardships are going to come. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, whatever hardships of life are going to come. And they're going to come. Regardless of whether you've taught yourself how to rely on the grace of God, my advice, start to learn how to depend on the grace of God because the hardships are going to come. You're either going to face them on your own or you're going to face them through the power and the strength of the grace of God, which manifests through the Holy Spirit and his word. A good soldier develops discipline. He's willing to live a life of self-denial and hardship without complaining, knowing that it's going to produce strong character in him or her. A good soldier obeys his commander. That scripture told us we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that it pleases the one who enlisted us. That's Jesus, the head of the church, has enlisted you, has enlisted me. I have a specific function to fulfill in the whole structure of the church world and the body of Christ. You have a particular function to serve also. You may be on your way to discovering even a deeper function that you've been called to. But whatever you're called to, and whatever your life is right now, 
Live it in the grace of God. That grace empowers you to endure hardship and it empowers you to resist sin. We're never going to be able to do away with temptation. Temptations are going to come to us, but we don't have to fall for it. Again, a good soldier obeys his or her commander. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. You know, there was a period of life for about a good 18 months where almost every day the Holy Spirit was bringing me back to this portion of Scripture. I literally wouldn't get out of bed in the morning without reading this first. And it's just, it's like, it's become like my go-to thing. Um, Because understand that the letters that are written to the church, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, all these letters, that's where we receive instruction on how to live while we're still on earth. The Gospels lead us to recognize we need a Savior. We need Jesus. It introduces us as he reveals God to us through his life. But when you come to the letters, that's how we receive instruction on how we're supposed to live. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. I want to back up and go back to the beginning of that verse. Verse 1 says, if then you were raised with Christ. In this situation here and in this case, if is a wrong word that should have been used. The, the, what it really means in original language is since. If kind of like injects a little bit of doubt. Well, I don't know if I am. No, it, that's not what it says in original language. It really should have been translated since then you've been raised with Christ because since establishes the, the, the precedent. It establishes this as truth. So let's read it this way. Since then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also with him appear in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. We are no longer the sons of disobedience. So we're supposed to put these things off. See, when you and I were still sons of disobedience, when we were still operating under the, under the influence of, of the kingdom of darkness, we didn't have a choice. There's going to be fornication. There's going to be uncleanness. There's going to be evil desires. We were covetousness. We were idolaters. But, but that's not who we are anymore. So he said, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. We don't any longer. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So, so yes, we've been t- taken out of the world, taken out of the kingdom of darkness. We've been brought into this kingdom of God. We are new creations in Christ. I am born again. You are born again. The Holy Spirit is not only in us, but upon us. And so that being said, we have the power to no longer get involved in these things. They're going to come. The temptations are going to come. But he says in verse 8 that we ourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of our mouth. There's something wrong when a Christian 
posts something on Facebook and uses, all, uses the F-bomb. Just going to say it, the F-bomb. Come on. What are we doing here? We start posting sexual innuendo. What are we doing here? The world is watching us. And the more, you, the more you, you use that, and the more you use that language, the easier it becomes. And I'm not saying it's going to send anybody to hell, but it might prevent somebody from going to heaven by that example. Please don't do that. So be convinced out of all these scriptures we just read that God is not condemning us, but he's providing us for a way to come up to a new level in character, in our joy, and in our fulfillment. I don't care who you are. When we don't walk right with God, when we don't resist sin, when we entertain, when we purposely just get ourselves involved in stuff that we should not, that damages our character. It diminishes our joy, and it totally negates any sense of fulfillment because your spirit on the inside knows you should not be conducting yourself this way. We should not be losing our tempers in anger. We should not be uh, blaspheming. We should not be using filthy language. We should not be lying to one another. You would think that we wouldn't have to have something like this written to us. But Paul knows, and the Holy Spirit knows, that we're still living in this world. And if we're not careful, we're going to be influenced by those things. And not only influence, but like the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Verse 12 goes on to say, Therefore, as the elect of God, he's talking to you and I, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. In other words, put off that stuff. Put off the anger, the wrath, the malice, the blasphemy, the filthy language, the lying. Put that off. He said, but put on. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also are called in one body, and be thankful, be thankful, be grateful, walk in love. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Powerful concept, powerful tools that God's given us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, how's it going to dwell in you richly? Read it, study it, memorize it. Make it be the thing that just washes over your soul on a continual basis. And you'll start thinking that way. You'll start talking that way. And you'll start acting that way. The power of these scriptures has the potential of lost, launching us into a new season of life. One of obedience and, and, and absolute further intimacy. When you start walking out these commands that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul to give to the church, you start, you start walking different. You start seeing yourself different. And people start seeing you different. When we walk in, in such a way where we're putting on Christ, putting on all his attributes, that gets the attention of people who are desperate right now, looking for truth, looking for meaning of life, looking for something more than what we've been handed in this life right now. Self-control is only possible when we are surrendered to God and submitted to his grace. When we are weak, his grace, his grace strengthens us. 
Remember this. Solutions come from the Word of God. But success comes from our application of the Word. We all know plenty of people that know the Word, they can repeat the Word, they've memorized the Word. But they're not applying the Word. And so again, wisdom comes from the Word of God. But success comes from the application of the Word of God. So let's, let's go through a few of these things here. See how we can possibly apply the Word of God on an everyday basis. People with self-control master their moods. What do you mean? Moods, emotions, feelings. A, a person with self-control, a person who is living in intimacy with God and allowing God not to just spend time with God, but allowing God to change them and to shape their character and, and, and to flavor the way they relate to other people. They don't let their moods master them. Most of what gets done in the world is accomplished by people that do the right thing even when they don't feel like doing it. And in order to do the right thing when you don't feel like doing it, you're going to have to master your moods. Okay? Um, to me, some of the most frustrating people in life are the powders. They don't like what's going on. They may not like a task that's been assigned to them. They may not like their lot in life right now, and they know it because they drag their lip every place they go. It's that pouty face. It's that, I'm in a bad mood. I'm upset. Pet me. Uh, you know, just soothe me. We don't have time for that. Nobody has time for that. And Psalm 15, verse 1 says this, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who live, live blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth with sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Keep their promises even when it hurts. Well, I don't feel like it today. Well, um, you just caught me in the wrong mood. Well, I can't do that. I know I gave my word, but you know I'm having a bad day today. Suck it up, okay? Psalm 15 says that there's a blessing from the Lord when we keep our promises even when it hurts. I don't know how much more practical I can present this. Feelings are real, but they're not facts, and we're not bound to them. You learn to control your thoughts and you'll control your feelings. The thought life, then, is our first defense of battle in that war for self-control. Your thoughts. We're bombarded with thoughts constantly. We're bombarded with suggestions constantly. Some of them come from the world. Some of them come from the enemy of our souls. David understood this. David, as a young man, understood, I've got to get, my, my, I've got to get control of my moods here. And, you know, if you're reading between the lines, and I've, I've done quite a bit of study in David's life, and I think he's one of the coolest people in the Old Testament. So how could you say that? He's a murderer, he's an adulterer. Get in line with everybody else, you know. We're, we all have things. And so David had a lot to overcome. So how do you know this? Well, the first inter introduction on the scene, Samuel comes to David's house, okay? David's got a bunch of brothers. His father didn't even think to call David out of the field. He's got all the other brothers in the house, David has such a low place on the totem pole here in this family. David's still out in the fields while everybody else is having a feast at home, entertaining the prophet Samuel. At the very end, then Samuel says, are there any other sons? Yeah, we got the little guy. He's out there in the fields. Kind of smells like the sheep. We leave him out there. So David must have battled insecurity, uh, intimidation, lack of self-esteem, 
uh, lack of, of any type of purpose in life. And yet, who did God use to defeat the giant? David. So David writes in Psalm 42, verse 5. I'm reading from the New International Version. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. King James says, why are you downcast, O my soul? What's David doing? He's talking to himself. Why? Because everything around him is talking loudly. And there are some times that you've got to ignore the circumstances, ignore what you're seeing around you, and begin to start talking to yourself. Start telling yourself who you are in Christ. Start telling yourself what you mean to God. Start telling yourself about the new creation that he's made you in. Don't leave yourself to your own thoughts. If you leave yourself to your own thoughts, you're going to be moody. You're going to get bitter. You're going to get jealous. You're going to be asking yourself the question, why does so-and-so have that and I don't have that? You've got to. And David understood this principle. He addresses his own soul. He's speaking from his intellect to his soul. For what reason? To get himself out of this depression. That's what you and I need to do. David learned that sometimes you've got to take control of your emotions in order for you to take control of your enemies. So you need to speak to your soul. People with self-control watch their words. They put their minds in gear before their mouths are open. Proverbs 13.3 says, Be careful what you say and protect your life. A careless talker destroys himself. Man, that is so true. We So many times we destroy ourselves. We, we, we set ourselves up to experience a mood, emotions, by not being careful what we say. People with self-control restrain their reactions. Let me ask you this question. Ask yourself this question. How much can you take before you lose your cool? That's going to depend on the mood that you're in. It's going to depend on the emotions you've been experiencing. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, If you are sensible, you will control your temper. When someone wrongs you, it is a great virtue to ignore it. The New Living Translation says it this way. Sensible people control their temper, and they earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Joyce Meyer had this to say. I'm going to quote from one of her books. Is all anger sin? No, but some of it is. Even God himself has righteous anger against sin, against injustice, rebellion, and pettiness. Anger sometimes serves a useful purpose. So it isn't necessarily always a sin. Obviously, we're going to have adverse feelings or God wouldn't need to have addressed this and provide us with self-control as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Just being tempted to do something is not sin. It's, it's when you don't resist the temptation, but do it anyway, that it becomes sin. I don't know about you, but I used to have a file. None of us really type on paper anymore. But I used to have a file years ago that I would write things and write letters to individuals that I really wanted to let them know exactly how I felt. And by the time I got writing, done writing this, I looked at it and went, I can't send that. I'd love to. I'd love to tell them in person what I really think. But this isn't going to glorify God, and it's not going to help the relationship. And so I would get it out of my system, just write it there, and then just put it in a file and never mail it, never send it. We do the same thing, and you do the same thing. You do it on Facebook all the time. You see somebody's post that angers you, it triggers something in you. You start writing a response, and then hopefully the Holy Spirit on the inside starts going, you don't want to send that. That's not going to help the situation. It's only going uh, to cause an unnecessary thread of debates and controversy back and forth. 
And so we, we end up erasing it before we send it. We delete it before we send it. And that's a good thing to do sometimes. People with self-control stick to their schedules. If you don't determine how you will spend your time, then others will decide it for you. Being disciplined starts with even something as minor as that. See, when we lose control of our schedule, we start getting stressed out. We start getting stressed out. Now we start going into our emotions and moods. We start snapping at people. We start being short with people. And it's all because we weren't careful with our schedules to begin with. Be very careful then how you live. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Not as unwise, but as wise. I think Paul's trying to be really nice here because I would have wrote it this way. Be very careful in how you live. Not as someone stupid, but wise. He's nice. He says unwise, but be wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil. A day is not necessarily evil. The day is evil when it gets away from us, when we become distracted when we allow the enemy to come in and start bouncing all kinds of stuff off of us and, and we get to the point where we get stressed out. We're not going to have good self-control if we do that. People with self-control manage their money. They learn how to live on less. Uh, they're not spending more than they make and therefore bringing stress into their life and into the life of everyone around them. And it's very valuable for you and I to have budgets to work with. What are we doing here? We're talking about self-control. Nobody falls into sin for no reason at all. We fall into sin. We stop resisting temptation because we've allowed ourselves to get worn down through stress. We don't manage things right. We don't manage our time. We don't manage our relationships. We don't manage our money. There's nothing worse than having financial pressure on a person's life. People with self-control maintain their health. And one of the best ways to maintain our health is to stay out of stress, to keep self-control, discipline. It's, routines are good for us. They don't have to become ruts. A rut is when you're in a routine that doesn't produce anything. A routine is a schedule that you maintain that causes you to feel at peace, causes you to, 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 feel, to sense fulfillment and contentment because you know that 24 hours that you just spent had purpose attached to it and you're walking it out and you're producing fruit and you're having a good effect on other people's lives. That reduces strength in our life. The disciplines that you establish today are going to determine your success tomorrow. It takes more than willpower and self-control. It takes a power that's greater than yourself. But the Spirit of God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear. Instead, He has filled us with power, love, and self-control. Why do I bring up fear? Because when we don't live our lives right, fear creeps up on the inside of us. When we don't manage things right, Fear creeps up on the inside of us. We're afraid of the consequences. When we don't manage our money right, fear creeps up on the inside of us. Because why? We know numbers make sense. Whatever you have, if you spend more, you're going to have a problem. And so fear rises up. Fear then gives birth to moodiness, um, stress, anger. All of these things we're told to put off. And when those things take over, our ability to resist temptation is weakened. Just like if we don't eat right, if we, don't, if we entertain too much stress, it affects your natural immune system. Your body then cannot fight off the diseases that it was created to fight off. It all blends together. So we've got to do our best to live our lives according to the Word, to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to just, just <clears throat> saturate us 
with the ability to resist temptation, with the ability to become disciplined and orderly and, and just being able to have stability in our lives and to be able to produce out of stability that love walk, that walk of forgiveness, that character development. Again, I'm going to repeat something I said before. Solutions come from the Word of God, but success comes from the application of God. And I want to leave you with this scripture. Joshua 1.8, one of the most powerful scriptures in the Old Testament. I'm going to read to the, from the New Living Translation. It's a little bit easier to understand. <clears throat> this is a command that God gave to Joshua. Joshua, at this point in his life, is in charge now of taking the people of Israel into the promised land. We're talking about, according to Bible commentators, anywhere from two to two and a half to three million people Joshua's in charge of. And God gives him instruction. See, Joshua developed a lifestyle of spending time with God. He recognized the voice of God. He recognized the presence of God. And so it was so important because if you haven't developed that relationship and that intimacy, that ability to hear his voice, how are you going to hear the instructions that he wants to give you to fulfill what he's called you to in your life? And so listen to the instruction that God gave to Joshua, Joshua gave to us. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. My prayer is that from this time forward, you'll begin to put the word of God first in your life. My prayer is that you'll be able to recognize when you're starting to slip into these moods that are going to affect everyone around you and possibly affect your future and definitely affect your decision-making process. My prayer is that we will all begin to live in such a way that we'll pay more attention to our character than the image that we want to portray. This image is nothing more than a mask, but character is seen by everyone. And I pray that we'll develop a dependence and an intimacy with a dependence upon God and an intimacy with the Holy Spirit so that someday it'll become effortless and very natural for us to live in such a way that everything we do glorifies him. In the meantime, his grace is there for us. His mercy is there for us when we fall. His love is committed to us. So I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. Again, please share this. There are many people that need to hear this message right now. God bless you. Stay connected with us. We hope to see you on the weekend. Stay connected online. If you're not coming back to church yet, stay connected online. But whatever you do, stay connected in your heart to God Almighty and your Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.